Good morning, everyone. Well, my math is, uh, my statistics are a little behind because it changes so fast now. But I believe as we sit here this morning, there are just about 7 billion people in the world. About uh, just over 2 billion are Christian. Probably just over 1.1 billion are Muslim. Just over a billion are Buddhist. Around 700 million are Hindu. Around 20 million are Jewish. And probably just over 1.1 billion are some other religion or no religion at all. And that means this morning that there are over 4 billion people who don't believe or don't know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, and the Son of God. And it's to this world in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6, that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And this raises some difficult questions. I spoke to a young woman not so long ago who said that she would not join an exclusive religion. A religion in which it says that it has the one true way and that other ways do not lead to God. And probably that's why some of you hold back this morning from following Jesus Christ. You don't want to be a part of a faith where the leading figure says things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Except that we're imagining this all wrong when we phrase it that way. We imagine that God is up on high and he's looking down at the world and he's playing some sort of ugly game of favorites in which he says, ooh, now I really like these people. Uh, I pick them. And these people over here, I don't like them so much. So, So let's get rid of them. But That picture really isn't how the story comes to us. Go back, go back to the creation of the world and everything in it as you find in Genesis, particularly in the first 11 chapters. So right there at the beginning, it says God created the world and everything in it and of the world and everything in it. He says it is good of people in particular. He says very good. But then begins this fall. Adam and Eve fall away from God by uh, reaching out for knowledge and, and things that God said, you'll be better off if you leave that to me. Cain and Abel, their children, continue the fall further away when one brother murders another brother out of envy. We come to the story of Noah and the ark and all of humanity is falling even further. As it says in Hebrew, all of the thoughts of all of humanity were all continually evil all the time. In Hebrew, you'll never see the word all strung together so many times as you will at the start of that story of Noah. The story continues in the Tower of Babel with the fall, which Adam preached on, in which God says, be fruitful and spread over the whole earth. And people decide, no, we'll get more accomplished if we all group up in one big city and try to do something awesome for ourselves. And so in this picture of 11 chapters of falling further and further and further away, God suddenly in chapter 12 strikes up a friendship with just one man and his name is Abram. Now, if you came in this morning thinking the idea of excluding all the world except for one religion was exclusive, chapter 12, he excludes all the world except for just one guy. Our story begins with this famous 
passage called The Call of Abram. So if you have your Bible today and you want to turn with us to Genesis chapter 12, we'll start right there at the beginning. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth we blessed through you. It's a great promise, but by the time Abram's 80 years old, he's starting to doubt this promise that he's going to father this great nation because one, he's 80, and two, he hasn't even had a single child yet. And his name, Abram, means exalted father. Ironic naming, isn't it? It'd be like naming me one with long flowing hair. Yet God promises there will be a descendant and there will be a nation, no matter how impossible that promise seems. And one night when Abram must be feeling really down, God decides to seal this promise by paying Abram a mystical visit. So if you want to turn over to Genesis chapter 15, or you have a Bible app, you want to go to Genesis chapter 15, verse 9, that's just fine. Says the Lord told him, Bring me a three year old heifer, a three year old female goat, a three year old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all these to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle, ooh, and laid the halves side by side. We'll skip down to verse 17. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcass. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. Now that's a very strange passage to be one of our most famous passages in the Old Testament. And it immediately brings to mind two questions. First of all, what's up with cutting all the animals in half and scattering their parts all over the ground? That's super gross. And the question we're answering this entire series, where is Jesus in this? What does this passage have to do with us as Christians or people who have come here today to explore what it means to be a Christian? The key to answering both those questions is found this morning in the science of archaeology. We're going to go back in archaeology, even archaeology outside the Bible, and find some things there that will help us comprehend what's actually happening to Abram that night. So we know from having dug up these contracts that whenever a chief wanted to come under the protection of a king, or whenever a king wanted to come under the protection of an emperor, they would do this treaty of the slaughtered animals. Did you notice that Abram didn't have to be told what to do with them? God said, bring me a cow, a sheep, a ram, a dove, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. And he knew immediately, oh, he wants me to cut these in half and spread them over the ground. That's because we, they did this treaty in ancient times, just as it's described in Genesis. And then they would take an oath and walk among the pieces right through the gore. So this seems really gory to us. And the interesting thing is it also seemed really gory to them. Just how you're feeling as you see this scene unfold is exactly how you're supposed to feel and how they felt back then. The scene is just as violent and awful as it's supposed to be. I'll tell you why. We have records of other cultures who made these same treaties at that time. I'm going to read to you one of them. I'm going to read you a short excerpt. They are very long-winded. 
So here's a short version of a contract. This one was made between a king named Mati Ilu as he swore allegiance to the king of Assyria, who could probably could call an emperor because he was over many kings. Here's what it said. It said, this head is not the head of a spring lamb. It is the head of Mati Ilu. It is the head of his sons should Mati Ilu sin against this treaty. Just as the head of this lamb is cut off, may the head of Mati Ilu be cut off. This shoulder is not the shoulder of a spring lamb. It is the shoulder of Mati Ilu and the shoulder of Mati Ilu's sons. You see where this is all heading? The treaty goes through every single body part, including the entrails. All right. You see where this is going? It's saying, oh yeah, I'll I'll be your king and I'll protect you. But you break this treaty. I'm going to come and rip you and your entire family into tiny pieces. And then they would walk among the pieces. So you could look at all this gore and go, today a sheep, tomorrow you. Now, this treaty, Abram understands he's coming under the rule of God. God's going to make him into a nation. This will be a nation that will follow God. It is God. So they do it up big, not just a sheep, a cow, a sheep, a ram, a turtle dove, a pigeon. There is a big bloody patch on the ground and animal parts laying everywhere. And then God says, Abram, I want you to camp out here tonight and think this over because you're about to leave polytheism behind the belief in many gods. In the morning, you're going to be the servant of the one and only true God and never look back again. So uh, chase the vultures away. And in the morning, someone's going to take a little walk. But then nightfall came and something unusual happens. Back to chapter 15, verse 17. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. Now think of the smoke and fire that in the next book are going to lead Moses out of Egypt. A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the halves of the carcass. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. A vision of a fire and smoke walks among the pieces, not Abram. God moves among the pieces. For the first time in all of history, we have no archaeological evidence that this ever happened anywhere else. The high king making the treaty of the butchered animals walks among the pieces himself, as if to say, if Abram and his offspring break this treaty, I will be torn apart. I will be killed. I, the Lord God, will see myself mutilated and killed before I see this promise broken. And then at this point, it was customary for the low king to give the high king a whole big pile of treasure, tribute. But instead, God adds this to the promise that he's not just going to make Abram a nation of wandering nomads. He's going to give them a land to live in also. And then God emphasizes something quite unusual. This phrase that we read at the end of, uh, sorry, chapter 12, verse 3, second half of the verse, where he says, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. Now, I don't know if you know it, but back then and in some religions today, you need a God to bless your people and help you defeat all the other people. But Abram's God has something else in mind. And in case Abram missed it, he says it again in Genesis chapter 22, verse 18. And through your descendants, 
all the nations of earth will be blessed. All because you have obeyed me. So he's saying, yes, you're going to be my people and I'm going to be your God. And through you will come a blessing for everybody. In case we missed it, he says it again. Genesis chapter 26, verse 4. I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars in the sky. I will give them all these lands. And through your descendants, all the nations of earth will be blessed. And this covenant means that God is not picking a favorite nation. He doesn't like the Jews best. In fact, in the story of Abram, there aren't any Jews yet. That's the problem. It's just Abram, not even a baby. God is creating his chosen people from nothing. And he's not creating them to be his favorite. He's creating them as an instrument to bring his light to the whole world. One nation created for the sake of all nations. And in that moment, he changes Abram's name. He adds two syllables, Abraham. Changing the meaning from exalted father to father of nations. And then he has the promised son, Isaac. And that's another story for another time. And that is the meaning of the covenant of the butchered animals, which God turns completely upside down. And now for our second question, where do we find Jesus in this? We find Jesus on the cross in the covenant with Abraham. This is only one of the most troubling questions of the Bible. Theologians wrestle with it endlessly, generation after generation, to answer this question. Why is Jesus suffering on the cross? And the answer comes back, because he promised he would. That's why. God made Abraham swear to make God king, king of his life, king of the nation of Israel. Israel renews this oath many times. We will follow God. We will share his blessing with the world. And then they didn't do it. And that is the story of the Old Testament. Each week you get this handout. Each week it has some verses at the bottom. If you follow along with that, in the end, you'll read all the major stories of the Old Testament. If you've started that, you've already discovered it. They have this promise. They keep renewing their dedication to the promise and then breaking it five minutes later. They don't keep the treaty. And the treaty said that when that happened, someone would pay for that outrage. And it would be God. That he took the punishment for covenant breaking upon himself. He suffered and he died because we would not follow him. But then, in a move only God could make, he turns even what was supposed to be a covenant punishment into a victory. Now God says, all is paid for. The covenant is fulfilled. The obligations are all met. Now, let me give you eternal life, a new heaven and a new earth. And we stand in that moment dumbfounded. Wait, wait, wait. What just happened? Well, God says, I promise to bless all nations. I read it three times in Genesis. Yes. I created a nation to do that. Yes, Israel. I brought my son Jesus from that nation. I celebrate Christmas every year. And so I fulfilled my promise. But, but wait, we said we didn't do anything in the contract we were supposed to do. 
We didn't worship you alone. Look at how we've worshiped sex and worshiped money and worshiped power and worshiped our own image. And we didn't share you with the world. In fact, some of us here this morning are saying you can just believe in any made up religion that you want to because we don't want to be offensive. Or if we're more honest, maybe we just don't want to fool with it. And that son you sent, we killed him. Yes, that's true. So why are you keeping your end of the bargain? Because I want to, God says, for love. Well, you could at least exact some sort of penalty. I mean, surely we should suffer something for taking the beautiful world you gave us and making it into the sorry world that it is. And when we say that at that moment, I believe God smiles and says, I knew some of you were going to come up with that. And that's why when Abraham fell asleep, I went down and sealed the deal myself. I walked among the animal carcasses myself. So look at that cross. There's your penalty. Whatever you were looking for, there it is. And it's paid. I paid it. Now, come follow me. Be fully convinced by that cross that I love you. Now, now turn from your sin. All that stuff that makes, makes your life and this world sorry. Turn from all of that and follow me. Just like that? Just like that. Just as I am? Just as you are. I can stay just as I am. No, 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 no. But we'll take it slow. We'll take it just a little faster than you think you can handle. But you can handle it. And in the end, I promise you will be grateful for every change I make in your life. Trust me, he says. Look at that cross and trust me. And some of you are ready to do that this morning. Some of you. I say, I get it. I, I can trust this Christ. I will follow him. Some of you say, wait, wait. What about the rest of the world? The other four billion? Four billion people not born in countries where there's a Christian majority where you can't tell this story just like this anytime you want on a Sunday morning? Well, the answer for them is also found in Jesus, the Messiah, and the covenant with Abraham. Now, one of your biggest clues from the Old Testament that when the Messiah finally came, that they were going to miss it, is that they keep looking for a Messiah who's going to save them from every other nation. When if they remembered the reason that God was creating them in the first place, they would have known that a Messiah could only come to complete their mission, to be a light to the whole world. The only thing a real Messiah could do is come and save every nation through them. And that is why when the Old Testament opens, Matthew chapter 1, they give a genealogy of Jesus, his family tree, and they do something really odd. He lists four women. Now, we would not think that is strange today to give a family tree and mention women in the family tree. But let me tell you, in the first century, when they were super, super sexist, that was a really weird thing to do, especially when the genealogy was very short to begin with, to take time out and mention four women. And you know what's even weirder? All four women are foreigners. They aren't even Israelites. Tamar and Rahab are Canaanites. Ruth is from Moab. 
And Bathsheba doesn't even get a name. It just says she's Uriah the Hittite's wife. Probably a Hittite herself. Right at the beginning of Matthew, the New Testament opens with its first shattering blow against sexism and racism, which, by the way, we're really, really in that year. (laughs) To point out that the family tree of the Messiah already contains more than just Israelite names. And then Jesus comes and he begins to teach, love your enemies. That foreigner Samaritan, that's your neighbor. He heals a servant of a Roman soldier, then standing in front of a whole bunch of Jews, points to the Roman soldier and says, I haven't seen faith like this guy has in all of Israel since I've been here. He tells a Jewish priest group that asks him for a sign proving that he's the Messiah, that the only sign he's going to give them is a sign of Jonah. Do you remember the story of Jonah? A preacher who went to the foreign enemies and preached the message of God and they turned to God? He describes, Jesus describes the kingdom of God as a tree where birds from all over the world come to roost. As a net that catches all kinds of fish. A foreign woman comes to Jesus and asks to be healed. Jesus straight up tells her, lady, I'm the Jewish savior. I came for Israel. To which she says, well, I want to follow you too and be healed. To which Jesus says, well, all right then. He tells a parable about God inviting his people to a party, but when they won't come, he throws open the doors and invites the whole world. And after his resurrection, what does Jesus say to his closest followers? Now go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus completes the story that began with Abraham in Genesis. Jesus completes the mission that Abraham was given. Through your descendants will come a light to the whole world. Jesus fulfills the promise that Abraham received. Through your descendants, all nations on earth will be blessed. Paul, a very studied Jew, picks up on this really quickly and writes about it in what I believe is the first letter that he wrote, Galatians. Don't quote me on that. I need to do a little more study. Really near the beginning. Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. He says, what's more, the scriptures look forward to this time. When God would declare the Gentiles, that's everybody who's not a Jew. God would declare the Gentiles to be righteous because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. Jesus ties himself to the story of Abraham in Matthew chapter 8 verse 11. He says, and I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. And we got to see this play out right before our eyes last uh, Sunday at Lakeland Camp when we had visitors from China come. And they got up at the end of the service and they prayed the Lord's Prayer. And we prayed the Lord's Prayer together in Mandarin. And there we all were, Gentiles from the west, And the east all gathered together at the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The promise is being fulfilled. And that's enough for some of you to say, I see what's happening. And I want to become part of this kingdom that's a light to the world. But some of you still have an argument that this does not solve the problem. It assures us, and we're glad to hear it, that God loves Buddhists, but they must come to Jesus. And God loves Muslims, but they must come to Jesus. And God loves Jews, but they must come to Jesus. 
But when we phrase the question that way, it only shows that we're not seeing the world the way God sees it. Because we look out at the world and we see Buddhists and we see Muslims and we see Jews and we see Christians. But God looks out at the world and he sees people. He sees his own children. And God is out to rescue people. And he has paddled out into the flooding chaos waters like Genesis. And he's reaching his hand out to pull everyone into his boat. And his boat is named Jesus and its flag is the cross. Are we truly... At this moment, after he walked the sacrificial walk through those animal carcasses before Abraham, all the way to the cross in Jerusalem. And the moment was his hand is stretched out to rescue us. Are we really truly going to say, oh, thanks, but no thanks. I was hoping for a different boat with a different name and a different flag. Because there isn't anyone else coming for us. This was the rescue God planned from the beginning. And this is the rescue despite all human and supernatural effort to stop it, which he carried out. And there is no hope in some other rescue from some other God because those other gods do not exist. And God didn't come to say to groups of religious people, or sorry, he did not come to save groups of religious people. He came to save people. All families will be blessed through the offspring of Abraham. And at this moment, some of you get it. You say, I want to be a part of that kingdom. I want to be part of that light spreading into the whole world. But some of you still have one more argument. What about people who have never, ever heard of Jesus? What about folks who are on some Pacific island somewhere? Or they're up in the mountains of Pakistan where you can't talk about this sort of stuff. What about them who've never even heard of the rescue of Jesus? Well, be fair with me, please. How should I know the answer to a question like that? I've never been to a Pacific island to see what's going on there. I've never been and have no plans to go to the mountains of Pakistan. How should I know what's going on in the cosmos? I know this. I know these scriptures show us a God who will be fair with that situation. Whatever it is, however he works it out, he'll be fair with that situation. I know this. I know a man from this congregation who left this congregation two years ago to go to China to preach the gospel, specifically to Muslims living in China. Now that's a missionary who just wants to be whipped twice. To convert people from one religion they're not allowed to practice to another one they're not allowed to practice. But that's the call God placed on his heart to these people we think will never hear. Well, he's making sure they're getting heard. What is your part? What is your part? I know this, this word preaches a a God who's much better at keeping his promises to rescue us than we are. You know what, why don't we... This morning, just focus on where we are and what we know. We know we're in this room. We know we're here and we know where we are right now. And let's not hide behind island people and people in the mountains of some oppressed country. This is your day to hear Jesus and what he has done and the promises he has fulfilled. And you have heard it. This is is your day to answer the question for yourself. Will you accept the offer or refuse it? For yourself. 
I want to invite Ryan Belt to join me on the platform, if you would. He's got a particular set of skills, which I do not possess. Ryan Belt, sophomore, quarterback, at least I'm in high school. Yeah, thank you. Currently on the pup list for a broken femur. Ouch! Okay, we're going to pray for you that you'll be healed completely of that because I know you want to start. He's come up because uh, we're going to say the gospel of Jesus Christ is like this football. You thought you had to get right with God in order to receive his grace. But the truth is he promised to reach you in the year 2200 BC and that he would suffer if we refused and all that suffering's done and it's right here. The only question is, can you receive it? Can you catch? If you're ready to receive it and you're ready to catch, you can stand up right now and in a minute, see where this is going? You're going to be able to receive it and catch. Stand up. You thought you had to seek forgiveness, but it turns out he already paid for that forgiveness on the cross in about the year 30 AD before anyone in this room's great, great, great grandfather was even born, much less before whatever those sins are you did. And all that forgiveness is done and it's right here and you can receive it this morning. The only question is, can you catch? Maybe you've wandered for a time and now you're coming back and you're ready to receive it. You can stand up if you want to receive it. Now, somebody's going to have to stand up because I didn't bring the QB up here because I like his hair, which I do. <laughs> oh, to have hair again. I, I see that you are enjoying it and I, I think you should do that. Enjoy it while it lasts. It's shocking sometimes how little time you have with it. I wish I had done more. <laughs> you wanted to find God. You came here this morning to find God, but turns out he's not hiding. His offer is all right here. Can you catch? Maybe you think you ought to do some sort of penance. You ought to make up for all these things you did or the things you didn't do that you should have done, the time that you wandered. But it turns out all the penance is done and it's all right here. There's just one question. Can you receive it? Can you catch? Maybe you did this 20 years ago. Do you want to receive it afresh here today? Anyone who's interested, stand up. The offer is extended. The offer is extended. But the question is, can you catch? God's free gift of grace is all packed up, ready to change your life forever. Are you going to let it go by? Because it's stitched up, it's tight, it's secure, and it is irrevocable, and it's all right here. There's just one question left. Can you catch? If you want it, you got to stand up right now. Now, where you play football, it's shaped really differently, right? Round with spots. (laughs) All right. Can you catch? That's how it's done. Thank you. Hey, Ryan. Here you go for a friend to go out with you. Thank you. Hey, come up here. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Hey, let's stretch out a hand of blessing toward Ryan uh, who came up here. Father, we thank you for Ryan and the work that you're doing in his life. Lord, may he be your man in this world. And we pray for his leg, Lord, for healing and strength to return, um, that he can start, that he can uh, play hard, that he can bring glory to you in all that he does and give glory to you for your power. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you.
Now, for all of you who are not comfortable receiving the Lord's grace in the form of a thrown football, he has given us other symbols. He has given us the Lord's table. So those who uh, are QB in the Lord's table today, if you'd come forward and prepare that, start your calisthenics. Um, So the Lord's table, right? On the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Sound familiar? The torn animals with Abraham, the torn hands and feet on the cross, the bread broken for you. All one promise fulfilled and you can receive it. Can you catch? This would be a lot easier to catch. He took a cup. He said, this blood, uh, this cup is my blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sin. Remember all that blood poured out on the ground, how gory that was? The cross, the hands, the feet, the brow, the side, all one promise, all fulfilled, now represented on this cup. You can come forward, you tear off a piece of bread, you dip it in the cup, you receive it. You receive thousands of years worth of promises of God. Can you catch? He said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember my death until I eat and drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. So some of you this morning have been wandering for a time and now you see it. So if you'd like to add just a little extra step to your receiving this this morning, uh, as you come down to receive the cup, if you want to, you don't have to, but if you want to, if you just want to step over here and just say, I received it. I just want to say a prayer for you from Paul's words in Ephesians about how God's going to complete that work in you. Just a line or two. And we can celebrate. For some of you this morning, you may be receiving this for the very first time. New to the faith. You may never heard that story I told before, or this is the first time you really have grasped it. And you can come forward and say, I've received it. I'll pray the same prayer for you. But we have a a class for those of you who are new to the faith. It it, it happens on September 17th. It's a Sunday afternoon. It's to help you uh, know what your next step is. Uh, answer the difficult questions you have. You have other swirling difficult questions. We did not nearly get it all done this morning. And uh, we thought hard about what to call this class. Are you ready for this burst of creativity? We called it new to the faith. (laughs) All right. And so after we said the prayer, you can step right over here and just sign your name on here. And someone will call you and tell you all about that afternoon to help you get your journey started right. So we're going to pray. We've been praying by singing this song. If you know the words, you're certainly welcome to sing along. I think a few more of the words will make sense to you this morning than they did in previous weeks. If the words still don't quite make sense to you, keep doing this journey with us. I promise by the end it will. And then after we've prayed, uh, you can come forward. Let's start, though, with a, a, a simpler prayer than a song. Let's start with the prayer Jesus taught us to pray, the Lord's Prayer. Let us stand together. Jesus' followers said, everybody else gets like a a prayer they get to learn. What's our prayer? And here's what Jesus gave to them. He said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, let us proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Oh, now you're going to understand this. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. 
the gifts of God, for the people of God. Each day, may Christ be as real to you as this food and this drink. Let us pray. O Lamb of God, sweet Lamb of God, I love the Holy Lamb of God. O wash me in His precious blood, my Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Come forward when you're ready. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy church, the communion of the saints, and forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. May you go in peace. May you step into community and see um, Jesus throughout the universe. Amen.